You have tuned into a study of the Epistle to the Philippians, and today we begin with verse 17. Paul writes, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. In the passage prior to this, Paul has written of running and toiling, but here he suggests that he might face death as a martyr. That's a possibility. But he said if it happens, he will rejoice, but he's not sure what will happen. Nevertheless, the complete dedication of this man is expressed here. He is holding back nothing in service for Christ and is willing to become part of a sacrifice for their faith. By writing that he is being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of their faith, he is using a figure of speech which was common to every Jew. For under the sacrificial system, under the law of Moses, a drink offering could be offered. It was poured out on the sacrifice that was being burned, of course. And what happened to the wine, the drink offering, when it hit those flames? It sizzled and it went up in vapor. Well, Paul is saying, I'm just being vaporized on behalf of your faith. But he rejoiced in it. And he urges them also to rejoice. Now in verse 19, the subject changes. Paul writes, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. From here to the end of the chapter, Paul writes about two men who, in addition to Jesus, are models of unselfishness. They are men who did not fail to fulfill what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now first he begins to talk about Timothy, and later he'll talk about another servant who worked closely with him. And what follows in our text is the human possibility of imitating the attitude of Christ on earth. God does not ask that we perform miracles, that we move mountains, or give up everything that we own. He does, however, ask this, let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of a mind did Christ have? Well, he left heaven's glory. He left the riches of heaven and became poor 
that you and I might become rich. There weren't very many men like Timothy. He said, All seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now here is a real servant. Did you know that the word minister means servant? Sometimes men need to be reminded of that. They're supposed to be serving Christ in our churches. They are supposed to be feeding God's sheep. That's God's flock. They are to serve, not lord it over them. And here he says that Timothy is very much like Jesus. He's interested in others, which is why Jesus Christ came to earth, because he was interested in our salvation at his personal sacrifice. And I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians about his own ministry. He said, giving no cause for offense in anything in order that the ministry be not discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. And he described his ministry this way also, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. We who preach the gospel are bringing the riches of God to you. Well, in our text in verse 19, Paul expresses what he soon hopes to do. He's concerned. He wants Timothy to bring back a report from Philippi, and he expects it to be a positive one, that is, encouraging. And in the description of Timothy which follows, we have one of the strongest commendations found in the Bible. Paul worked with a number of men. They accompanied him on his journeys, but here in verse 20 he says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Paul was very familiar with many believers in Rome where he was imprisoned, but none had the genuine concern for the church like Timothy. Paul is referring to a rare quality in this young man, and in this he was very much like Paul. Paul, throughout his letters, reveals the greatest of concern for the churches, and he served them. Why did he serve them? Why not write off some, like the Galatian and Corinthian churches, as hopeless? It's for the reason that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his. It's not Paul's. And he is serving Christ. He's dedicated to that task. Now, apparently, Paul could not send anyone to Philippi except Timothy, because all men had the same problem, self-interest. Now, this is a staggering indictment of believers in general, that Paul could send no one, because all seek their own interests. But Timothy was not one to ask, what's in it for me, or how will serving the saints in Philippi benefit me in the future? He was very much like Paul. Their hearts were similar, both looking for opportunities to serve Christ in building Christ's churches. Now, in verse 22, he writes that Timothy had been tested as he had accompanied the apostle on the second journey. Timothy had slaved with Paul for the gospel. Both were slaves of Christ, as expressed in the opening words of this letter. Paul and Timothy 
bond servants of Christ Jesus. You might remember that Paul encountered Timothy in Lystra in the present country of Turkey as recorded in Acts 16. It tells us when he came to Derby in Lystra, he encountered a certain disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And from that time forward, Timothy accompanied Paul, and he was a blessing to Paul, a real servant of Christ. Timothy had earned a good reputation there in Lystra, and that may be one of the reasons why Paul invited him to join his team. I notice the text says nothing about Paul asking him, Timothy, have you been called to the ministry? Friends, if you're looking for some kind of a special call from God, you're wasting your time. Get busy. Learn the word of God and go out and tell people. Do you realize you can teach the Bible? All you need is to find someone who knows less than you do. You'll have a wonderful and blessed time explaining John 3:14 to 16. People need to hear it, and they can become saved by it. Now, the popular phrase, called to the ministry and called to preach, suggests that there is a profession. But that's not biblical. Every member of the body of Christ has a function, and the question is not, am I called? We need to ask ourselves this question and say, how well am I serving with what God has given me? The fact that God saved us means we have a ministry. He has given you some kind of a gift. Use it. And perhaps then he'll even bestow more gifts on you. But don't sit around waiting for a call. God doesn't want us to be professional Christians. That is, people who are paid to serve him. We ought to be amateur Christians who serve out of love. Just as a golfer golfs out of love for the game. We call them amateur golfers. The professionals do it for money. How old was Timothy when he joined Paul's team? Well, we know the second missionary journey when he encountered Timothy took place somewhere around 50 A.D., and he wrote the first epistle to Timothy about four or five years later, so that's 15 years and he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, these words, which give us a clue. Let no one look down on your youth, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Well, from this we can determine that Timothy was probably a teenager when Paul met him and asked him to join him in the work of the gospel. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, the letter we're studying here, Timothy was probably in his thirties. Can a man that young be as selfless as Paul describes him in this epistle in chapter 2? Well, it's a rare quality to be sure. Well, Paul had Timothy serving him as a son with the father. And in verse 23, he tells us that he hopes to send Timothy soon to Philippi. And in verse 24, 
He writes that he hopes that he too can visit Philippi. Every possible opportunity, Paul would try to visit the churches where he had preached the gospel so that he could strengthen people. He was not an evangelist who came and did a one-night stand and then disappeared. He wanted to follow up, build them in the faith, so that they would continue to spread the word of God. Do you have any young men in your church who are like Timothy? Men who are concerned for the spiritual welfare of other Christians? A man who doesn't seek his own interests, but is more concerned about accomplishing things for Jesus Christ in the lives of other people? If you do, you have a rare person. Encourage him. How do you measure Christians? By how good a talk they can give? Or by their enthusiasm? or by their participation in church work. Church work may not be God's work. It's a lot of activity, and some of it is necessary. But we ought to be evaluating people in the church, Christian people, by how much they have the mind of Christ interested in others instead of themselves. Here's an important question. How many things must a person do in order to get to heaven? I asked this question of two men who came to my house this past week, and both of them were united on the answer. They said, we need to keep the Ten Commandments. That's what our church told us. Is that what the apostles taught? Is that what Jesus said? Many people don't know the answer. So we have written a book, and we're offering it free to our listeners. It's called Heaven's Password. It explains what God requires for entrance into heaven. Write for Heaven's Password today. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calipota reminding you that the word gospel means good news.